This is Eric Law, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Courier. Kylie O'Miller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer fires to score. You're kidding me. By Dylan Ward. Gets topside wrap. Oh, scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Adam Moore and Hutton Jackson. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson, here with my co-host, Adam Moore. Yes, I am back after a one-week hiatus. Appreciate, Adam, you taking the reins and uh, kind of taking the helm with the podcast while I was gone on training, but uh, happy to be back. Happy to talk some PLL with you, talk some Athletes Unlimited, which you actually got to attend a few games this weekend. Uh, So let's start there. How was it attending Athletes Unlimited in person this weekend? Yeah, man, it was an absolute blast. I was able to go uh, on championship Sunday, uh, see some really, really awesome action. Got to see an overtime game in game one, got to see uh, an individual champion crowned after game two. It was pretty awesome for the plain fact that uh, after 30 games, it came down to the final game of the season to determine who, who that individual champion would be. So being able to see these athletes in person was absolutely phenomenal. The play is uh, just the the best uh, women's professional lacrosse we've literally ever seen. Uh, And Taylor Cummings talked about that in her uh, speech after, after the game, how uh, AU really uh, lifted uh, women's professional lacrosse to new heights this season. Excited that they're back for, for season two. That was announced uh, at the beginning of this week as well. So overall phenomenal product on the field. So excited to be able to see it in person and looking forward to uh, many, many more years of women's professional lacrosse. No, absolutely. And we're going to dive in a little bit on just to recap the full season in just a little bit, but we do have some news and notes to get to. Um, We're also going to have an interview with Eric Law later as well. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that. Uh, But news and notes first actually comes from the NLL. They were planning on having their draft in Buffalo, New York, um, on August 28th, that is now moved to an all-virtual draft, unfortunately. Um, I think just due to, you know, the Delta variant and uh, different COVID concerns still, um, it, they made a decision to, to go all-virtual like they did last year. Um, unfortunately, New York, I know, is a little bit tighter on guidelines, too, so that might have had, um, you know, something to, to play in this factor. But unfortunately, we'll all just have to tune in virtually, uh, which we knew we're planning on doing anyway, so it doesn't really affect our plans too much. Uh, but you can tune in to both TSN, if you're in Canada, as well as the NLL's YouTube this coming Saturday, August 28th. Um, we also had the PLL announce their nominees of end of season awards. So we're not going to discuss that today. Um, we're actually going to save that for a future episode. But I know me and you have some picks on who we think you know should be MVP, midfielder of the year, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. We're going to wait one more uh, week to see how these guys do. Um, but that was very exciting to see those award nominees come out. Um, and then finally, as you mentioned, Athletes Unlimited is returning for a second season. They announced right after. So let's dive right into the Athletes Unlimited first season. Um, what did you think overall of these five weeks and the gameplay? Yeah, like I said, it, it's been a phenomenal product. The the From the broadcast to the play on the field, it's been a fantastic five weeks. I, I wish, honestly, it was a little bit longer selfishly mm-hmm. so, we, so we could continue watching. Uh, and for it to come down to this final week of the season um, and just the this leaderboard, people going up and down, and it – and for it to come to the final weekend of the season was was pretty awesome. You know, 
uh, I mentioned Taylor Cummings was that individual champion. Congratulations to Taylor. She was the first ever draft pick in the AU week one, only fitting that she ends up uh, as the champion when all said and done. Um, and like I said, it really did come down to this final game. She was playing against uh, Kaylee Waters and, and team orange and um, Taylor had a big lead coming into it. And as time progressed, Kaylee made a couple saves on Taylor. So points mm-hmm. were going back and forth. Uh, Kaylee squad won a quarter um, and it was getting a little bit tighter than you would think uh, going down, down the stretch. So um, it was super exciting for, for it to come to the, the second half and uh, us be kind of not sure who that end of individual champion would be. Um, but at the end of the day, it came down to that final quarter. They ended up getting the win team Cummings after goals from uh Taylor's first two picks uh, in Monday's draft, Marie McCool and Sam Apuzo, they really, really stepped up um, and helped uh, get that individual championship uh, for Taylor, you know. Um, and I want to mention Sam Apuzo because she ended up finishing third on the leaderboard after uh, all was said and done. Um, and she moved up drastically over the last few weeks she uh coming into the weekend actually only had three wins um so she was at the top of the leaderboard for uh ended up with the most goals in the league and top of the leaderboard for statistical points but uh when those win share points she she wasn't uh too high up she ended up uh six and nine after a undefeated weekend from team cummings but um kind of going into the future uh if her if the cards are dealt a little bit different, she might be at that top spot. So um, really awesome season by by those three in particularly coming into the weekend. I thought um, Team Cummings may have an undefeated uh, weekend based off of her first couple picks, and she had Britt Reed and Cage. So um, I I kind of was joking uh, with some people at AU and and you uh, b- before Pod that I was kind of hoping to have for a storyline, you know the uh, last leg of the tour de France. It's a kind of a victory lap in that uh, gold, gold Jersey. And I thought that was what it was going to be for Taylor this weekend, but it wasn't, it was closer than uh, mm-hmm. one would expect. So, but um, yeah, absolutely awesome weekend. Really happy that I was able to get out to uh, that championship. And, you know, the, the athletes were just super appreciative of the experience. And it, it was just great to, to see in person for the first time. Hopefully we'll get to a lot more in person uh, going forward and for season two. Yeah, no, I definitely got to get to to one next year. Um, luckily, I am going to the Philly weekend with you for the PLL and the DC weekend as well. So, um, first return to live sports uh, for in a while for me. Uh, it's actually I'm surprised that I haven't gotten out to another sporting event mm-hmm. since then, but uh, just really hasn't been in the cards. So, looking forward to that. But yeah, um, this athletes unlimited season was phenomenal. I thought the broadcast uh, was great. Joe Beninati, um, the whole athletes unlimited media team was great. They worked with us really, really well. They really elevated, uh, you know, it to another professional sports level, which I thought was great. So shout out to, you know, Jenny Jeffries and her team at AU for all the work they did. Um, and they were able to capture some some big moments throughout the season. So I know me and you both had some major moments that we kind of wanted uh, to recap a little bit, just looking back on this season, because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of great highlight plays. You mentioned that it was still very teamwork heavy. You know, Sam Apuzo, unfortunately, lost a lot of her games and the win points account for a lot of. Uh, total. So, um, you know, kind of came down to that towards the end. But uh, let's talk about some of the top moments. I, I think obviously at both of our top of our lists, Nicole Levy's Sports Center top 10 goal, yep. where she faked between the legs and then went behind the back. Um, you know, that I was, I blew up all over Twitter. Amazing effort by her. Uh, amazing effort by the Athletes Unlimited team to capture that moment as well, um, both on the broadcast, of course, but also they had a really cool um, cinematic version of that highlight as well, which I thought was cool. 
Um, so shout out to all the, you know, the videographers on the ground as well. But that was one of my favorite moments. I personally also like Shayna Pareka. She had two game-winning two-pointers back-to-back weeks for Team Glenn. Um, very similar too, like down the alley, uh, sidearm. And the, the first one in week four ended up giving them, uh, you know, a two-goal lead. The second one actually made it come from behind victory. They were down by one, and that two-pointer ended up giving them the victory within the final two minutes, I believe of the game. So shout out to her. She was definitely, uh, in my opinion, the two point queen of the week. Um, but those are some of my favorite moments. And then, you know, you can't really uh, forget Kylie Olmiller's falling BTB goal. And then the stick flip in week two. I thought that was fun. There's just a lot of great plays. Uh, any that stand out to you though, Adam? Yeah. You know, I joked on Twitter, Allie Kennedy could be the AU logo going forward with one of her jump shots. Pretty, uh, a la Kyle Harrison. So that was, uh, and she did it again uh, the week, la- uh, a, a day later. So that was uh, a, a pretty awesome goal. Last week, Michelle Tumlo, uh, literally from the logo almost, um, she she shot from half field from the draw circle. Uh, the goalie play, not one particular play, but goalie play was phenomenal uh, all season long. You know, we had two goalies, uh, Kaylee Waters and Katie Glenn in the top four uh, when all was said and done. Um, and then, you know, you, you mentioned Kylie any Kylie goal this year the the season of goal Miller hopefully will continue uh going into season two and it was it was awesome to see uh her play in person on Sunday so um yeah just an overall awesome weekend I really I know I hit it home all the time but um the the style of play the rule changes really made for an awesome fast-paced game um and I'm really excited to see what they do going forward also I don't know the final tallies but i'm 95 percent sure i absolutely crushed you in week five so uh yeah uh, it's, it's we don't have to bring that up we'll post <laughs> the, the final results on social media we don't have to drag me through the mud on this episode but yeah it was not good i had a you know i was slightly behind i wasn't too far behind you i had a chance going into week five and uh it was just not my weekend at all so congrats to you you know we're going to be in philly in two weeks. So you will get your Philly cheesesteaks. I'll have to wait a little bit on my crab cakes, unfortunately, but um, yeah, it was a great competition and it made a lot of fun just to kind of follow too with the point structure. So I enjoyed that. Um, Absolutely. Uh, But yeah, we, we really appreciate athletes unlimited, um, you know, really working with us too throughout the season and uh, you're providing us with photos, highlights. Um, They did a great job. Their media team was awesome. It was great to share, you know, their games on our Facebook page and YouTube page as well. Um, with our audience. So overall, kudos to them and their media team and what they've been able to do to elevate um, the sport and uh, looking forward to season two, for sure. Um, so now let's move on. We talked a little bit about AU. We're going to talk a little bit about PLL after our break. Uh, I know you mentioned Kyle Harris. So I'm going to talk about him, his retirement. We had three great matchups this past weekend that we're going to get to a little bit, but we did get to sit down with Eric Law. I personally got to talk with him um, over Zoom and he was able to share some insight both on their big win, his seven-point effort against the Cannons in the playoffs, as well as the throughout the whole season and how his team has really been able to, um, I don't want to say turn around, but, you know, after that opening loss, everyone was kind of writing them off. You know, there's a lot of questions heading into this season based on their moves in the offseason, and they really righted the ship after week one and uh, are one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team in the league, and they're in a prime position now to not only make it to the championship but win it. Um, so let's toss to him, hear what he had to say about both the playoff win as well as how the Atlas have been doing this season. Today on Pro Lacrosse Talk, we are joined by Eric Law. Eric is fresh off an Atlas quarterfinals victory where he recorded three goals and four assists and shot 75%. Eric, thanks for joining us today. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely. We're excited to talk a little bit about this Atlas team. Um, you know, you've had a lot of postseason success, but this is actually your first PLL playoff win. So talk a little bit about this victory over the Cannons this past weekend. Yeah, uh, I thought that it was an awesome team win. Um, I think looking back on it, looking at some of the performances guys had of uh, Rex Road and J.D. Calarusso and Trevor Baptiste, um, then, you know, the typical guys like Brian Cospiel and Jeff Teat coming through. And um, I think just from top down, it was just a complete um, team win and it took everyone to be a part of it. Uh, we knew that Cannon Squad was a complete resilient group that every single one of their games, they'd been down by a few and they would climb right back and make it a one goal game. So, you know, it was going to be a dogfight to the very end. And I think that's exactly what it was. And um, I think JD came up huge and Trevor had a couple of huge faceoffs that really set the tone. And um, we did a great job of this week getting back to the little things. Um, we mm -hmm. think that we didn't do a great job of uh, moving the ball as well. We would have liked uh, against that water dogs team, but give them credit. They're an excellent defense and, and Dylan Ward's playing about as hot as, as anyone in the league right now. So um, I thought we did a great job of offense of kind of getting back to what we like to do and kind of playing that family style of letting the ball do the work and keep moving it and getting it hot out of people's sticks. And um, anytime you can get a playoff win, you know, it's something big. So um, it was nice to be back in the win column. That's for sure. Absolutely. You know, I feel like you guys play a very egoless lacrosse style. Um, you know, everyone, like you say, everyone eats in this team. So uh, yeah, I feel like you guys do a good job of that. We're going to dive in a little bit more to Atlas, but I kind of want to go back to your college days. You played a season at Salisbury and then you transferred to Denver where you're from and played under coach Tierney for three seasons. Talk a little bit about what led to that decision to play for your kind of hometown team and um, how you grew as a player under coach Tierney. Yeah, I loved my time at Salisbury. I loved uh, coach Berkman has an awesome time there. And unfortunately we lost the national championship to Tufts that year. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was an awesome experience for me to, to learn under coach Berkman and really learn what it takes to be a college athlete and put the work in outside of practice time. And that's really when, um, I kind of just kind of fell in love with kind of putting that extra work in. And then uh, whenever you have the opportunity to come back home and play in your home state and play for a legend of Coach Tierney, I think you kind of have to jump on that opportunity. So mm -hmm. um, I did, was able to come back, and I think it was one of the best decisions I've ever made for me personally, um, not only lacrosse-wise, but um, school-wise, academic-wise, and just just everything. It was, uh, it was a great fit for me personally, just the, the school, the surrounding, the team. Um, the, the coaching staff, the university, the athletic department, it was just, I can't say enough great things about my three years there at Denver and, um, really changed my life of, of putting me with my best friends I've had for, which feels like forever now. And, and just mm -hmm. couldn't be more excited and happy to be part of that program and, and play for coach Tierney and coach Brown, which really kind of made me fall in love with the X's and O's of the game and kind of the, um, um, the, strategy behind it and kind of more so just the, the mental side of the game. Absolutely. And you didn't travel too far uh, when you were drafted by the Outlaws and uh, joined them. Um, you ended up making it to four championships, won three of them. Um, all kind of, most of them were thrillers. You know, you, you guys uh, were down in that Outlaws game against the Rattlers. You came back, you made it 9-10 before uh, Drew Snyder finally sealed the deal, making it 12-11 in that victory. And then you had the game winner in that 2016 championship uh, with 13 seconds left. And then 2018, you guys uh, got a good lead and were able to kind of coast a little bit in that one, um, a little bit easier, less less thrilling, less nerves, I'm sure. But talk about those three wins, winning them for, you know, your home state um, and kind of just about those different teams that you kind of went through um, during your time with Denver Outlaws. Yeah, and it was uh, looking back on it, three teams, three very different journeys and three very different teams of, mm -hmm. of you know, even from personnel to style that we played to 
kind of everything, but that's what makes, you know, sports so fun is each team that you're on is going to be different. And uh, thinking back to that very first championship in 2014, um, that one was incredibly special just to bring the first championship back to the outlaws, but not even more so just that for Denver, but it was for the guys that were on the team. Um, Jesse Schwartzman, Lee Zink, mm-hmm. um, Anthony Kelly, guys that had been absolute dominant in the PLL for years, uh, but never were able to, to get past that hump and, and lift that trophy. So to uh, be on a team with them, it was, it was incredible. And, and mm-hmm. looking back on those guys of, of what they did for my career of show me what it's like to be um, a professional lacrosse player and, and show you the ropes of, of how to succeed in this league and how much I learned from them just being in their presence each week um, and seeing their leadership style and, and how they conducted themselves week in and week out and how they prepared themselves um, was truly special. So to win that with them was awesome. And then, you know, 2016, we actually were the, the worst team in the league uh, halfway through the season and then won eight straight games or whatever it was to come back and win. And, and then had that come from behind game, which the, the lightning and the rainstorm that deluge yeah. was, was one of the craziest <laughs> games I've ever been a part of. And um, thinking back on it, you still can't believe that we actually played that game in, in that kind of weather <laughs> and field conditions. Um, I'm obviously happy that we did uh, since we got the outcome that we wanted. Um, and, and a team that was just full of complete rookies, you know, Matt Cavanaugh, uh, Westberg was considered there. That was Jack Kelly, Bailey Tills, BJ Grill all these different guys coming up and stepping up huge and, and, and coming down the stretch at the end. And then um, 2018, um, another group of just complete different guys, but everyone in that locker room absolutely loved playing with each other. And you could tell mm-hmm. by the way uh, we played on the field. And like you said, uh, we're able to get a little bit of a lead in that 2018 game and kind of rode the coattails of Matt Kavanaugh of, of playoff Cav in the final there and kind of showed us to victory. So uh, three very different teams, but awesome memories that I'll definitely remember forever. And um, you're definitely still chasing that feeling of winning a championship. And that's why uh, that's why we all still keep playing today. Absolutely. And I know you mentioned how different those three teams were. Was there any like, you know, constant between those three teams? I mean, because you guys are considered a dynasty and it's not easy to do to win three in, uh, you know, essentially five years. So what was kind of one constant that you guys had during those, you know, that period? I think the constant was the leadership and the, uh, the organization coming from top down. Um, we were extremely lucky to have, I think the best organization that the MLO ever had was with the outlaws because of how much commitment and um, effort went into it from the, from the people in the front office down, how much they cared and guys like uh, John Cohen and, and Tony Seaman and uh, coach BJ, like, they set the precedent from day one and, and mm-hmm. the president, Mac Freeman set the precedent that, you know, it was all about the team and, and you knew coming in and, and having the leadership of a guys like Jesse Schwartzman before you and a Matt Bach, but Lee Zink, it just was so easy. Once you came in to the, to the organization, you knew what was expected of you and you knew it was expected that it was going to be all about the team and, and kind of taking the ego away from everything. And, and, it was all always going to be about a team first mentality, both offensively and defensively. And uh, I think that just trickled down that they got players that were hungry and wanted to come in and, and play as a team. And that was kind of the consistent uh, basis that you always got, but it was just always that leadership from the top down of anytime you're around the organization or talk to anyone that was a part of it, everyone felt that same kind of culture that was set in that locker room before. And 
every team's going to be different, but it always had that overarching theme of, of that leadership and that chemistry that was set by the, uh, the front office and, and the leaders of the organization. No, that's awesome. And then you were able to return to Colorado recently um, with the Atlas now, you know, your team with the PLL. Talk about, you know, returning again to your home state. I'm getting to play in front of, you know, essentially a home crowd for you. Yeah, anytime you get to play in your home state and sleep in your own bed, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, I, I love Colorado lacrosse. It's been such a big part of my life and and kind of shaping me and molding me into the person that I am today. And and so many, like I feel like every single one of my memories has to deal with some sort of Colorado lacrosse from, mm-hmm. you know, growing up watching my brothers play at, at in my youth days to, um, to high school, to college, to playing a lot of my professional career here. And anytime you get to play in front of uh, family and friends, it just means a little bit more and you're, and you're going to be giving it just a little bit extra more and you want it that much more when you're playing in front of a hometown uh, crowd and fans. And it's just super special. And it's going to be memories that I really will cherish for the rest of my life. No, that's awesome. And you actually, you know, had a good uh, Denver City Lacks turnout too, which is the organization you work for. Talk a little bit about what that organization does and, you know, how special it was to have such a large group uh, show out for you on that game. Yeah, I'll start with, you know, thank you to the, to the PLL and the PLL Assist uh, partners for um, getting the program some tickets for the weekend. And we actually chartered a bus uh, full of kids up to the game on Friday night. So we had over uh, like 150 of Sealax uh, kids and families at the game, which was which was awesome to see in the crowd. Mm-hmm. And they were definitely loud and, and cheering, which was super fun to be able to hear that. But um, Denver City Lacks were a nonprofit uh, organization here uh, located in Northeast Denver, um, and we're working at uh, creating educational and enrichment opportunities through the sport of lacrosse. And our, our two really big goals is to create diversity, one, and, and number two is remove the financial barrier and create financial access to the sport. Um, all of us that know and love lacrosse, it is a, it's a high entry level to the sport, especially for a beginner to know if um, they really want to get involved with it. So mm-hmm. um, our organization works at removing that financial barrier throughout the whole year. So we're a year-round program. We're working on um, getting kids plugged into the sport. And then once they're plugged into the sport, we're then uh, working on creating those, um, you know, those other extra added bonuses that come along with being a part of the team of going on, uh, being a part of a club team, being a part of, you know, using the sport then to get to uh, outdoor adventures and, and academic, um, academic opportunities and um, using it as a way to create these lifelong friendships and, and being a part of a sport that really is all about community and, and uh, being a part of a team for, for a lot of our kids. It's the very first time they're able to be a part of a team and, and learn about responsibility and leadership and accountability. All these traits that translate so well from sports into school, um, it's, it's an incredible part to be of. And um, now going on my ninth year with the program, um, seeing how much we've grown each year, and then the retention rate has been incredible. Of, of as soon as kids get a stick in their hands, um, you can see that their paths for their lives changing. And that's that's one of the coolest parts to be a part of. No, that's awesome. You're certainly a leader off the field. You're a leader on the field as well with this Atlas team. You're, you're named a captain at the beginning of the season. Uh, one of the veterans on a fairly young team. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, how you've kind of stepped up as a leader with this Atlas team um, and a little bit about, you know, Coach Ben Rubio's, uh, you know, coaching style. Uh, especially bringing in a bunch of rookies that have really stepped it up. But, um, you know, you guys are pretty inexperienced in terms of playing, you know, for a while. So how have you kind of been able to find that balance? Yeah, I think, uh, I think Tucker 
myself and Trevor kind of just got put into the captain role because we're the old guys in the team. <laughs> um, uh, definitely funny to go from, you know, always feeling like you're the youngest guy on the team, being the young one to all of a sudden, you know, you pinch yourself. You're like, I'm the oldest one in the locker room uh, with, with Tucker. And it's just funny to just kind of look around and see how, how quickly things can change. Mm-hmm. Um, but there can't be enough great things and, and things said about how coach Ruber has handled, um, you know, even last season into this season. And, um, you know, with the, with our Atlas teams from before, uh, the talent that was on that roster and, and the guys that were in it, it was, it was crazy to look around and to see the, the high profile names that were in that locker room that you're sitting next to. And, and it was one of those that I feel like we all just kind of assumed it was going to work and, and you just mm-hmm. felt like, Oh, we're going to be a part of this. And this is like what it's going to be. And, and obviously it didn't work for two years. And so I give uh, coach Ruger the credit for kind of seeing that and seeing that it wasn't working and he felt like there needed to be changes made. And um, that's not to say that those guys aren't excellent lacrosse players and excellent people. It's just trying to find a way um to make it different. And I think that he tried to go young and he tried to, to make this team um, as, as hungry as possible and uh, found, found some guys that really meshed well, um, not only in the locker room, but on the field as well. And uh, I think one of those people that you can't say enough great things about is, is a guy like Jeff T. And I think that that goes perfectly with our, our motto of our family style and, and everyone eats because you cannot find more of an egoless superstar than, than Jeff T he is the most humble um, flatline person. I think I've, I've ever been around before. He, you know, he has an incredible play and, and you would have no idea looking at his facial expression or, mm-hmm. or a play doesn't go his way, you know, and it's the same exact way. He's just the most even keeled person that's out there. I think that just carries over big time into our team's offensive mentality on and, um, and how we like to play. But um, it's, it, it is special being able to be named, um, you know, a captain and leader that your team trusts you and, and wants to follow you and your and and the way that you're leading them. And and I don't that's a responsibility that I know myself, Tucker and Trevor don't take lightly. Um, that we really want to make sure that we're we're bringing this team in a direction that we feel like is is putting us in a, a, a place to succeed on the field. So um, but it starts with with Coach Rubes. I think he's he's the man. We love playing for him. He's passionate, he's fiery and that definitely trickles down to the rest of us. That's great. And I want you to talk a little bit about your own playing style because, you know, you've really made your bread and butter around the crease. And that's not always a glamorous spot to be on the field. You know, it's not one that, you know, maybe gets the most um, recognition. But talk a little bit about how you've kind of crafted your game, both from going from Denver um, University to Denver Outlaws and now to the Atlas. And how have you kind of, you know, honed your skill set? Yeah, I think it actually kind of started um, when I was in college, learning from Coach Brown, just you know, one thing he used to say is everyone on the field needs to be a threat at all times. And mm-hmm. um, playing that exposition, sometimes you get caught up just being back behind and kind of taking yourself out of play and, and allowing your defenseman to kind of um, be a part of the play and make it a, a five on six instead of a, a, either a five on five or a six on five for the offense. So I um, always just wanted to put myself in a way that I can be a threat to score at all times and a threat to my defenseman so that he constantly has to be thinking about is he worried about me or is he going to be coming and helping out the defense and kind of being part of their slide package and, and all that kind of stuff. So if I can make my D guy, you know, second guess and think about me for a little bit, or if he feels like he needs to go, you know, get to a spot where, where I can be in a place to finish the ball. And um, I definitely think my, my playing style can be 
probably kind of boring at times because um, I'm not an ex guy that, you know, will, will carry the ball and dodge 15 times a game or, you know, carry it or try to trip someone up behind the net. But um, I'm kind of a guy that's just going to be kind of more so looking to, to attack the defense as fast as we can. So get the ball from one side of the field, get it to the other, and just kind of beat the defense with passing and, and people movement more than um, carrying it in my stick a ton. But I um, still feel like if I needed to, I could get that done. Um, but I feel like just the way that this game works is the faster the ball moves, the, the quicker that you can beat defenses and get quick looks. So um, always just try to be a threat on the field at all times and, and put myself in a spot that I can always help my teammates of, of being an outlet um, and just getting that ball transferred as quickly as possible. Well, I wouldn't call your, your style boring, uh, especially because I was actually more of an ex-attackman that loved to do the inside role. I think I tried it too much that came a one-trick pony, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> definitely enjoy, uh, you know, watching someone like yourself have so much success around the crease and uh, from X. Um, final question on the Atlas before we move to our five and five. You guys have a matchup against the Chaos who are, you know, kind of riding this, this uh, underdog streak that they're going. You guys beat them earlier in the year, but, um, you know, they're hungry. How are you guys kind of preparing to face this Chaos team? Yeah, I mean, you said it. I think I don't think there's a hotter team right now than the Chaos and then how they're playing and and how they've well they've been playing together and they've got such that unique playing style on, on offense of kind of really just playing a very box style offense, which is, you know, constant pick and rolls, constant cutting, constant guys, you know, getting top side and and then once they get top side, they'll put five fakes on you and then you're right on top of the doorstep. And they're all those Canadian incredible finishers that uh, if you watch if you're not careful, they're gonna be racking it up on you very quickly and they mm -hmm. I mean I think that their their name chaos is, is perfect for the way that they play they love you know creating havoc on both sides of the field especially defense they're looking to get up and out and um you know they got the two-time goalie of the year on their team and, and Blaze Reardon and what he's hot there's really no one better uh in the league and, and is a definite MVP candidate so we know that we're going to have our hands full um this weekend we know we got to play almost a a full a full four quarter game that we're still trying to put together of, of excellent lacrosse. But, you know, you look at their roster from top down and they're, they're a very scary team. So um, we're excited about the matchup. Um, it's, it's one that uh, I think is going to be uh, an absolute, you know, big boxing match that it's going to be both mm -hmm. teams trading blows after blow. And, and that's, I really do think it's going to come down to the final two, three minutes of this game of, of um, who's going to be the one that's taken at home. So I'm excited for the challenge. Um, they're, incredibly talented team and, and I've been lucky enough to play with a bunch of those guys on offense and uh, I just know how fun it is to play in that style of offense and you can tell by the way they're playing right now is they are they're having an absolute blast together so um, they got some strong chemistry we feel like we have a good uh, chemistry group in our locker room so um, we're looking forward to it. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be an absolute battle. Yeah well I'm certainly looking forward to it as well I'll actually be there in Philly so looking forward to see some in-person lacrosse. Um, moving on to our five and five I'll ask you five questions on lacrosse five questions off the field more quick hitters. I mean, feel free to elaborate, but uh, you know, don't have to put too much into these. The first one I have is what are some pregame routines that you have? Mostly just do the same wall ball routine. Um, try to find myself uh, a good wall and probably spend five to 10 minutes on the wall, just get my stick dialed in. And that kind of gets me ready. And then the, the easy one is just putting on eye black before you head out. Awesome. And that kind of goes into my second question. Uh, what is your current stick setup in terms of head shaft and stringing? I'm using a uh, Warrior Evolution, the uh, Evo 4, I believe, and then using a Epic Dragonfly shaft, and I believe it's some East Coast um, 
dies hard mesh that I have been playing with. I, I used to be a soft mesh guy and then switched over a couple of years ago because I got tired of having to restring and, and change it up so much going from, uh, you know, thin air here in Colorado to some thick, mm-hmm. humid air. So I got tired of changing all the time. So just keep one pocket. Yeah, especially with the traveling you do in the PLL, I'm sure it's kind of necessity now. It does. It's just annoying changes. So keep it one <laughs> way and there it goes. Yep, absolutely. Uh, number three, what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at? Uh, it's a tie. I'd say uh, Peter Barton Stadium for uh, DU. I think it's one of the only lacrosse-only stadiums uh, in the country. Uh, when it was built, I know it was the only one, which is um, – obviously here in Denver. So it means a lot to me. And then second one I'd have to say is, is mile high stadium uh, where we played at the outlaws when you get to play at your, um, your childhood dream of Denver Broncos. Anytime you get to run out on that field and play your own game, it's uh it's pretty special. Yeah. I had a feeling those would be uh, on your list. Uh, someone, yeah. uh, I forget who it was too, was saying that I think Denver's one of the few stadiums that serves alcohol at their events. So they say the crowd's pretty rowdy as well at Denver university games. It does. The, the crowd gets into it, and it's fun. Uh, it's fun now to be able to go back and watch games and and, and partake and, and have some fun watching the games. Yeah, absolutely. Number four, who's your funniest teammate on the Atlas? Oh man, I I would say Trevor. I feel like is uh, is probably a pretty known one. That Trevor's always keeping everyone laugh, and uh, the things he says sometimes just will crack you up. But I think an an underrated one. Uh, it's probably Jake Richard. And I, I think his is funny just because of the, I think mostly people are laughing at him instead of with him. <laughs> just like a, a D midi. Some of the stuff he does is, is pretty funny. So uh, he's my roommate on the road and he keeps cracking me up. So I, I got to give him some props too. That's great. And we've loved seeing Trevor's uh, mop celly. Any, any chance that you break up the mop celly mop uh, at some point? I, I, I'll do it with him. If he ever scores, I'll go, kind of hang out and do it with them but I'm not a I'm not a celebration guy I'm always just a uh, pure emotion if I ever have a celebration it's just one of those where you kind of black out and you're like I don't know what just happened but <laughs> uh yeah just more so excited and always try to give um go and find a teammate who passed me the ball because that's most of the time how I'm scoring yeah well I gotta ask when you scored that game winner in the 2016 championship uh did you black out after that that goal with 13 completely left? I blacked out before the pass was even made it was one of those that <laughs> You know, you see the time running down and and I truly still think that he was trying to shoot the ball. And so I was just trying to put myself in a position that if he got a shot off, hopefully there was maybe going to rebound right in front or I could still get the backup. And then as I saw the ball coming, I'm, I'm glad I was thinking that because there was nothing going through my head other than just try to get this ball off as quickly as I can. And then it was a pure couldn't believe it went in. It was one of those like, oh, my gosh, like what just is going on trying to process the whole game. And then I remember thinking oh, no, there's 13 seconds left. By the way this game is going, like, we better win this face-off or I know they're going to go down and score, and then we're going to be in another dogfight. Yeah, well, you certainly – you pulled it off. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny to always talk to people about the goals and stuff because, you know, as a fan, you remember them, you know, pretty vividly. But as, as a player, sometimes it's like you're in the heat of the moment. It's, uh, you know, it's more yeah, about your energy of... and less about what's going on. Exactly. Awesome. Number five for the last of the lacrosse questions. If they made a PLL video game, who do you say deserves to be on the cover? I mean, it's gotta be Paul. It's gotta be Paul Rabel. I mean, he's the co-founder of the league. He's probably one of the top two or three players that really ever played a game. He has the points record for what he's done for the game has been 
absolutely incredible to bring it to that next level. I mean, I don't think if you ask any player playing in the PLL or any professional lacrosse player, if when they were a kid, did you ever think that this was going to be a reality that you would be playing lacrosse on NBC and, and the sport getting as big as it was, I think we'd all tell you you're crazy. And uh, I think there's two people that are that credit for that. And it's, it's Paul and Mike Rabel. So um, I think he does, he 100% deserves to be on that cover. And um, maybe in a couple of years, we'll have, you know, a Jeff T or a, a Trevor Baptiste, but I think for the next little bit, it would deserve to be Paul. Yeah, definitely very fitting there. And uh, it'd be nice to hopefully get a video game someday. I know it's definitely hard to get those made. I know even more popular sports struggle to make video games, but uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, if anyone can do it, it can probably be the right. It would be so. That's true. It's, <laughs> I, if they're exactly right, there's anyone could, there's the ones that can make that happen. Yeah, and we're halfway there too with the mobile game. So I think we're getting close. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, moving on to off the field, what, is some hobby, what are some hobbies or activities that you enjoy doing when you're not on the lacrosse field? Uh, honestly, anything, uh, you know, outdoors or sports related. I uh, love going for uh, hikes around in the, the Denver area to enjoy the mountains. Love going up and, you know, in the wintertime, getting some skiing in and, and enjoying the, the beauty of the mountains up here or just going out and playing golf with some friends, playing tennis. Um, no, it's kind of a boring answer. I wish I had one that was better, but kind of just getting out and just doing kind of anything active with with uh, with friends and family out here in the Denver area. That's a good answer. You know, you'd be surprised. A lot of you, your fellow lacrosse players are, you know, you live, breathe lacrosse. So um, sometimes it's like it's tough to think of other stuff that you do. Cause it's a, like. I know because it is kind of a big hobby for it's all we do. So, um, no, but just like to find stuff. And, you know, it is nice to kind of get away from the sport for, at, at times and mm -hmm. And get out and, and go enjoy and just kind of uh, unplug for a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome. And then number two, uh, when you're watching sports, what's another sport that you enjoy watching? And uh, what's another athlete in that sport that you like watching? Hockey is definitely my uh, my favorite sport to watch, uh, both live and on TV. I, um, it's been nice having the avalanche come back around the past couple of years and be mm -hmm. a little bit better than we were for the past five years. Um, so it's been awesome to watch them and they're so exciting and, and definitely favorite player on the team is Nathan McKinnon with how electric he is and how fast mm -hmm. he is. And every time he touches the puck, I feel like there's something that's going to be happening, but um, definitely love, love the avalanche. I'm a diehard Broncos fan as well. So, you know, excited for Broncos season to be starting back up and hopefully same thing as the Broncos, they can start turning around and, mm -hmm. and making it a little bit more exciting here in Denver. Cause uh, we are a football yeah. town and, the past couple of years have been a little tough with how bad we've been. Yeah, I'm sure. The nice thing about football is it doesn't take too many seasons for a turnaround, I feel like. So it's a little bit, you know, unlike baseball, like I'm a Orioles fan of baseball and baseball, it's like forever. Like yeah, the Orioles aren't going to be tough. good for like five years. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah. Same thing with the Rockies. So we're the yeah, same yeah. boat there. Unfortunately. Um, number three, where's your favorite spot to vacation? Oh, man. I uh, went on an awesome trip this last year with some friends down to uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And that was like one of the trips of a lifetime. Absolutely loved that. Um, but man, that's a, uh, I'd probably have to say that. I'd probably have to say uh, that was probably the best trip I've been on and, and able to go explore. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with that answer. Awesome. And number four, what is your favorite meal and you prefer to dine out, take out or cook at home? It's, uh, oof. that's probably a, a close time. Uh, I love steak and potatoes, um, old school that way, but then also chicken parm. If there's, if I'm ever anywhere and there's either a chicken parm on the menu or a chicken parm sandwich, 
you can guarantee that's that's what I'm going to be getting. And uh, I wish I was a better cook so I could cook more at home. Um, I'm more of a, a takeout guy, but um, especially with how crazy summers and everything else can be, it's it's just makes it a little bit more convenient to do takeout. But mm-hmm. trying to get back on the cooking game, and I'll I'll see if I can perfect my own chicken parm, which would probably save me a lot of money. Yeah, it's time consuming though. You know, sometimes you get the yeah. You have the luxury of just not spending so much time cooking and uh, you need to get it to go. Number five, what's a book or podcast that you've read or listened to that you'd recommend to a friend? And, you know, you can include a, also a TV or a movie sh- that you've been watching as well. Uh, since, you know, obviously we're kind of moved beyond quarantine now, but we've been cooped up for a while. Any, anything you watching or listening to? Um, I just read a couple of months ago, a book called the things they carried. And it was uh, okay. a book about, um, a group of about 10 guys from the uh, Vietnam war. And it was all mm-hmm. about different things and little trinkets that they carried with them to remind them of home that they carried with them. And so it was just a story of, you know, pictures or bracelets or something that they would carry with them the entire time um, that they're over uh, overseas and, and, and fighting that, that war. And it was just, it was a very well-written book and just awesome. And just kind of eye-opening, especially because all the characters in the book are around your same age, if not younger. And, and, um, so it's just uh, one of those like appreciation books that you read and you appreciate how well we have it right now and, and the freedoms that we have because of people that were, were sacrificing themselves and going doing that. And um, that was, that was an excellent book that I read and I'm trying to think of another one was um, uh, stay hard by David Goggins was another one I read mm-hmm. um, that I thought was, was an awesome read about staying motivated and just pushing through whenever you think that you're at a breaking point that, you know, your mind wants to stop you before you actually are done. So to keep pushing through and keep going, um, that you can keep going through. But other than that, I feel like I just watch kind of trash television with my <laughs> girlfriend and whatever she wants to put on, if it's The Bachelor or Bachelor in Paris, whatever those are. Um, but then I actually did just finish watching um, Breaking Bad for the first time, which I know I'm probably 10 years behind, but another one of those just incredible watches that you're just dialed in for and zoned in the entire time you're watching. Yeah, well, I'm actually a little bit even more behind you because I haven't, uh, I've watched like the first season and uh, I haven't been able to devote the time because I like to just binge it. So I'm like trying to actually devote That's the time I had to, to do too. Yeah. yeah, but uh, Things That Carry is a really great book. I read that several years ago and I really enjoyed that one. I have to try. What's the other one you said? Stay Hard? Stay Hard, yep. Okay, I have to look that one up. So uh, yeah, some good recommendations. Uh, final question before we wrap up. What is some advice that you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally? I think just love the game and, and it's such a, again, probably cliche answer to, to love it. But the more that you really do love the game and more you love spending time being around the sport and you love just having your stick in your hands and, and watching lacrosse on TV, I think it's just an easy way to, you know, learn so much. I was so grateful to have two older brothers that I constantly, you know, was going to other games and watching them play and picking up different things from, from watching different players on the field to watching every single college game you possibly can uh, but really just loving it and just going out and playing and, and being in love with the process of getting better of, you know, hitting the wall and going out and shooting and, and just finding the time to, to appreciate what the sport has done for you and, and what's kind of given you. And um, the community that it creates is just incredible. And, you know, I, I wouldn't give anything up or I wouldn't give anything to, you know, I don't know where I would be. If, if I didn't ever pick up that lacrosse stick for the very first time. And, and that's also just another reason why, you know, I love working with Denver City Lacks is 
be able to give that gift to someone else and give them an opportunity to change their life. Just like I saw, you know, lacrosse do for myself. So um, I would say love the sport as, as much as you can and, and just spend as much time, you know, studying it, uh, playing it and, and just working on your craft. And the best part about lacrosse is there's not just one, you know, single body type or single type of person that can be great mm-hmm. in this game. You can come from any sort of background. You can be the big guy. You can be the small guy. You can be kind of anyone. It doesn't matter, you know, your race, religion, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic class, everyone can love and enjoy this sport. And that's what just makes it so fun because it really is a sport for everyone. No, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. Well, we certainly appreciate you hopping on, Eric. Again, thank you again for joining us and uh, best of luck, you know, facing the chaos in Philly. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network. All right, so welcome back. We appreciate Eric Law hopping on the podcast and chatting with me. Um, definitely looking forward to his matchup with the chaos coming up uh, when the Atlas take on the chaos in Philadelphia. We will be there in person. So if you guys are there attending Philly, make sure to, uh, to look for us. We'll be in the cross playground shirts. Uh, definitely reach out, say hi. Definitely looking forward to seeing a lot of people there. Um, and, uh, you know, definitely looking forward to watching these games. But let's recap the games from the quarterfinals. Um, and as I mentioned, the chaos or team that pulled an upset over the archers who many, including myself had winning the championship. Um, so big shock there. Uh, although maybe it shouldn't have been a shock since the chaos are now five and one against the archers and they had beaten them the week prior in Albany. So um, I know they definitely, the chaos staff and team took exception to all the doubters. Um, and they definitely let us all hear that. Uh, but let's talk about this game, Adam. I mean, the chaos took a pretty commanding uh, lead and kind of stayed in the driver's seat throughout the game. Um, you know, but the archers had moments where they, they looked like they could, you know, get some momentum back towards the end of the half. They actually scored the first goal, um, with Connor Fields scoring against his former team. He ended up getting that first goal. He ended up contributing to the goal right before the half that pulled them within three going in halftime. And he also pulled them within one with over eight minutes left in the fourth. But unfortunately it just wasn't enough. Um, and this archers offense had some woes late in that fourth quarter, but, um, talk a little bit about this game, what you saw from both the chaos um, and the archers and why, you know, the chaos have been so successful against this archers team. Yeah. You know, they, they got a big play from uh, Chris Cloutier's replacement. That's for sure. Kyle Jackson massively stepped up uh, in this one. Uh, it was the weekend of the Jacksons, I think Hutton, you, mm-hmm. you'll, you obviously appreciate that, but um, yeah, Kyle Jackson absolutely stepped up um, in this one and played a, a major role for the chaos. And on, on the other side, you know, uh, it was a tough day for Will Manny. You know, he only had one assist uh, on the day and um, wasn't as big of a focal point uh, as I was expecting him to be from from a um, output standpoint. So, um, yeah, they just really were able to uh, put put it, string it together. And at the end of the day, you can't talk enough about Blaze Reardon in cage. Never had lower all season than a 54% save percentage in a game. This week was actually one of his lower 
And uh, in terms of number of saves, he only had to make 13 saves in this one. So um, he uh, is phenomenal. You can't talk uh, enough about his play in cage. So, yeah, no, I mean, he is, you know, not only cementing himself as goalie of the year for the third time in a row, I mean, I'm going to give him some looks at MVP consideration, Um, you know, and I think Andy Towers agrees uh, with that sentiment. Um, He talked about Blaze after the game. So let's hear what he had to say in the postgame. Uh, he does it in all three facets in terms of on the field. He makes jaw-dropping saves. He makes every one that he should and a ton that he doesn't shouldn't make. He does an unbelievable job of getting the defense organized verbally. And he does a great job of fueling our transition off of clean saves. That's between the lines. Between and outside the lines, again, he's the best teammate. He's the best leader. He... he doesn't take any of the credit, yet takes all of the blame. That's what a winner does. He's the best player in the world. So you heard Andy Towers, obviously, loves what he's been seeing out of his goalie. I mean, how can you not? Um, talk specifically, too, like how not only does he, you know, make big saves, but he makes a lot of clean saves that he converts into transition opportunities for his team, um, which is so crucial, too, is, you know, limiting those rebound opportunities. And that's kind of what plagued the archers on the other side. Um, you know, they were making saves. Adam Gittleman had a, a decent game, but – you mentioned Kyle Jackson, who had six points on the day. He was riding hard. This this chaos offense was riding hard after turning the ball over, and they were getting goals off of it. Um, they just seemed to want it a little bit more. Um, and this defense played really, really well. Jack Rollette played really, really well. Jared Newman stepped up. Um, obviously, again, Blaze is, you know, what makes that engine go on defense. Um, you know, and as you mentioned, he, he hasn't recorded less than 12 saves this entire season. Um, and that was against the, the Archers the last time when he didn't have to make as many. Um, and they still won that game. Um, so he's just been playing phenomenal. Um, I think there's only one time where he's recorded less than 10 saves uh, this entire PLL, his entire time in the PLL, um, which is, again, just uh, absurd to, to be a goaltender and just post that kind of production. Um, I mean, it d- does show, too, that the chaos kind of give up a lot of shots, but he is backing them up. He is get, giving them a chance every single game to win games and they're going out there and they're winning these games and um, they're doing it, you know, in a fashion that, you know, we've known to see from Andy Towers teams, you know, they're gritty on the ground ball battles. Um, you know, they're not afraid to, you know, play smash mouth kind of lacrosse, as you could say, they push out on you and they really disrupted this Ar- Archer's offense. Um, you know, they, they were pressing out um, against this Archer's offense and they were really making them try to beat them. And, you know, on the flip side, the Archer's just look stagnant against this chaos team. Um, you know, there's some bright spots, but for a team that has this many weapons, there ha- has to be a better play from them. Um, it, you know, they just were not looking comfortable out there. Um, and especially in that final eight minutes of the fourth quarter, you know, Connor Fields pulls them within one off of, you know, it was a turnover that they recovered back. They got a nice quick goal on Blaze in front. Um, it looked like, you know, they were in with, within one at 11-10 and they, they had a chance to come back. In the last eight minutes, they just looked complacent. It took too long to get set up, which wasted time. There's very little motion. There's a lot of just watching one person with the ball um, and very poor shot selection as well as some turnovers, uncharacteristic turnovers from um, a lot of their players. So it just, you know, it, it didn't look good. I think one of the issues too was the face-off stripe. You know, Max Adler dominated Stephen Kelly. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you can't really blame Stephen Kelly for those final eight minutes where the offense just looked inept. Um, you know, he wasn't out there uh, most, most of that time. So yeah, really disappointing that they, they just really couldn't seem to get it done. And this is the third straight year where they've kind of been favorites to not only potentially win the championship, but at least make it there. Um, and they only have one playoff win to show for it. 
um, and have yet to make it to the championship. Um, so yeah, it, it's, you know, another first round exit for them. Um, not good for Archers fan. And, you know, to, to look back on them celebrating with champagne, you know, after a three and start, it's, it's not a great look. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you, you, there's room to celebrate and stuff, but, um, that probably was a little bit premature, you know, to start out three and and be celebrating that type of way. And, you know, now they're looking at a first round exit. They lost to the chaos, you know, five of the six meetings. Uh, they've averaged under 11 goals in all six of those meetings. Um, and these games have been close, but, you know, good teams, good teams pull those victories out. Um, and I definitely would say the Archers were the more talented team, but they didn't play like it. Um, any final thoughts on the Archers and where they kind of go, um, you know, going forward in, in next season? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they need to make many changes, right? I, I don't know what, what your thoughts are, but it'll be interesting to see what they do at, at the stripe with, with Bones Kelly and um, and uh, some tweaks here and there. But I, I kind of think that this is one of the, the best teams in the league. They they had an off day, and I, I know it's one playoff win in three years, but the, the Bones are, are there for them to be super successful. We've seen in the past, and uh, if they can just string it together, I, I, I think – keeping a team together um, that there's a lot more said to that than um, I think sometimes talked about. So um, I think the nucleus of this squad will be back for another year. And I think they'll uh, make a year and a run in year four uh, with this, this group, but um, obviously there, there's some changes to be made, but I think the nucleus should stay intact because they've clearly been successful and I think they will be uh, going forward. Yeah, no, I'm definitely not expecting them to make too many wholesale changes. Uh, but yeah, faceoff is definitely an area they need to address. Um, you know, they need an advantage there because Stephen Kelly is a solid enough faceoff guy that they can get by, but they need an advantage there. They need, you know, a TD. They need a Joe Nardella that can really turn the game on its head when they need it to. We saw that with the Whipsnakes where Joe Nardella went on a little bit of a run in that second half. And that was really allowed the Whipsnakes to get back into that game because they didn't play too well in the first half. You know, the Archers don't really have that luxury of if things aren't going you know either on offense or defense they don't really have that luxury of getting extra possessions at the face-off stripe so definitely an area that I hope they address you know I think they planned on kind of addressing it probably this uh you know this during this past draft but um you know unfortunately it, you know it, TD went pretty early and um, I think there is I don't say there's a drop off between the the guys that they got obviously they got a guy like Connor Gaffney you know, who showed that he, he has some promise in this league, uh, didn't have a great showing in his debut, but, you know, give him some time and he might be the guy. Um, but overall, I, they definitely need to address that position because that's kind of been their Achilles heel. And although that's not the reason they lost that this game, um, you know, definitely have to look themselves in the mirror um, this offseason. I'm sure they will. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it goes a little bit beyond them just having a bad game because they lost the chaos, you know, a week prior. It's a game they should have won. They could have had a chance to lock up that top seed and they actually would have gotten that top seed had they beaten the chaos they would have gotten that top seed had first round bye. so i think their inability to win games that they should you know they lost to the chrome uh earlier this season which you know obviously the chrome um you know also pulled up a win against the whip snakes but that was when the whip snakes were played depleted uh they beat the archers when the archers were at full strength so uh yeah this, this team has to find ways to win um they kind of remind me a little bit of my ravens where they tend to play down to uh, team's level, which is never what you want to see. You know, obviously I have high hopes for the Ravens um, to, to go far this year, but they tend to always make it interesting in games. And I feel like that's the Archers. You know, the Archers never really have that commanding victory. Obviously they had one against the Atlas, but that might've been the worst thing that could have happened to them because it kind of, you know, went to their head, those first three wins, and then they lost some close, close losses. And 
overall, they, they got to find a way to, to pull out these close games and, and not lose their composure late in the game. But um, unfortunately that didn't happen. And uh, they're going to have a long off season before they get back on the field. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I think next, next season will be exciting to see uh, an angry uh, Tom Shriver, Grant Ament, uh and my guy, Ryan Ambler back on the field uh, next year. I, I, I still have faith in this team. I know they haven't been able to get over the hump, but still have faith in, in the Archer squad based off of their roster going forward. Yeah. I can only, I can only imagine like how pissed off they are because uh, you know, we saw clips of their, you know, Oh, and three streak before that game, um, you know, ending with that game with the cannons before, uh, you know, getting a big victory against the Redwoods and, they were, the media team did a great job capturing their emotions because they were pissed off. You know, we were talking to Tom Schreiber, who seems the most be the most mild mannered guy most of the time. Uh, pretty pretty livid after some of those losses. So yeah, I, I can only imagine. And and I'll I'll leave it at this. Graham Hasek is scary as it is. I don't want to <laughs> see an angry Graham Hasek going into year two for him in the PLL. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, you know, I will say kudos to Coach Bates. Um, you know, and uh, Tony Rush with that defense. Um. You know, they did their job, I think, in this game. There was a few goals they gave up. Um, you know, again, a lot of the, it, though, was on the turnovers on the clears and stuff, which, um, you know, just can't happen. But this defense looked actually pretty good the entire season. So um, I think it's the inability of the archers to really pull away from games, pull away from teams, um, and really post, you know, what this offense can post, you know, in terms of stat production. Um, that was their their biggest weakness because this defense stepped it up, I mean, you, Graham Hostick was the crowd strike defender of the game for a reason. He was all over the place laying bodies. So yeah, definitely don't want to see that guy pissed off. So we'll, we'll definitely be monitoring this off season and what they do going forward, but disappointing for them. Moving on to the Atlas versus the Canons. This is a game I think a lot of us thought would be uh, really close. Um, and even some of our, uh, our comrades thought the Canons had a chance at an upset, um, you know, on battle lacrosse that did not happen. The Atlas ended up coming away with the victory, but it was close um, throughout. But I think the Atlas showed that, despite their inexperience, they know how to win games, you know, at the end of the day. They beat this Cannons team three times. Um, the previous matchups were one-goal games, but it the previous matchups were really close games, but it shows that the Atlas know how to win when they need to. They got some big play from J.D. Calarusso and Cage. We'll talk a little bit about him. But I think, you know, at the helm, we got to look at Coach Rubio and what he's been able to do with this team. So let's hear from him after the game. I'm really proud of these guys. I thought, I thought some of the telling moments today were – Things didn't necessarily go our way. I mean, I think of there was the review of the two ball, and then we came right back, and just before the quarter ended, Trevor got that nice assist to Eric Law. Um, I, I think of Costabile at the very end of the game. He takes a two ball, gets knocked down, turnover, goes back the other way. It's, but then he puts the ball back on the ground and gets the ground ball. So anyway, those are two examples of, I'm sure, many when we watch the film of I thought guys responded, I thought guys when we needed plays to be made, made plays, and we weren't perfect, but we're not going to be perfect. We just got to keep getting better. Um, and as we all know, playing one extremely good chaos team that's, uh, that, that I think is playing some extremely good lacrosse and seems to be always in the mix at the end of it. A uh, lot, of, lot of credit to Coach Towers and all the moves that he pulls. That guy, uh, that guy is courageous and... Uh, and it's a very good team, but I'm proud of my guys. Glad that we get to spend two more weeks together, go into the semifinals, winning a playoff game in the first round. Um, none of these things are easy. It's not going to get any easier, but um, man, is it fun when it works. So you heard Coach Rubio. He is a nominee for head coach of the year, along with Coach 
Andy Copeland. So those are your two nominees for head coach of the year, Dick Adele, head coach of the year. Um, and, you know, right now I think Ruber has my vote. No disservice to uh, Andy Copeland. You know, Andy Copeland went out and made some big moves to really turn around this Water Dogs team. Coach Rubiar made a ton of moves, and he was really starting with a very inexperienced squad. You know, obviously we have the leaders like Eric Law, who we talked to, but uh, I think what he's been able to do is, is been super impressive. But what are your thoughts on this Atlas team? Um, you know, a lot of people, I, I feel like a lot of people disrespected them a little bit. You know, they lose a tough game to the Water Dogs. They don't get that by. Um, they played some close games against the Cannons, but, you know, I think there was a little bit more Cannons hype in this Atlas game than you would think, you know, a little bit more people thinking that the Cannons could upset the Atlas than the Cavs could upset the Archers. Um, so what did you think, though, of this Atlas team kind of, you know, stomping those doubters and uh, really, you know, coming to play in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, I think when, when you can look at the the previous two matchups where they did only win by a goal in both matchups, right, 13 to 12 and seven, 18 to 17, that, that played into it for sure. And um, with their loss last week, the – the cannons being in playoff mode a week earlier already. Um, yeah, all that plays into, I think, the the hype train when it comes to what people were looking for. And, and when you have a guy like Lyle Thompson on your squad, uh, you always have a chance. But um, this Atlas squad is, is dominant. You know, we were curious to see uh, how a changing cage when Jack and Cannon uh, went down, if J.D. Calarusa would be able to pick up the slack there um, for a strong team. And and he absolutely has 14 saves uh, on the day against uh, the Cannons was, was huge for, for them. And uh, their offense is clicking on all cylinders. I mean, when you have um, Brian Costabile, Jeff T, and your guy, Mark Cockerton, you know, that was a guy that really wasn't talked about too much coming into the season for, for, for the Atlas. So um, they just are a well-oiled machine. Uh, and uh, from the face-off X, Trevor Baptiste, uh, you know, Greg Renlin thinks he should be uh, a, a candidate for, for MVP based on his play. Um, you know, the, the cannons uh, got Brendan Fowler back off the pub list and uh, that just really didn't work. Um in in the cannons favor and kevin reisman uh as well so he, they were just dominant at the faceoff x and really dominant in uh, a majority of the play the, the entire game yeah no and i want to touch on two things you mentioned first jd Colarusso. again you mentioned he he's had 14 saves only nine goals allowed in this one he's made 10 saves in all of his five starts so he's stepped up in jack and cannon's absence and you know a lot of people said that was their biggest weakness when Jack and Cannon went down. Um, and he has proved that to, to be otherwise, you know, I don't really think the team has a weakness really at this point. Um, but I think, you know, there was talk that Jack and Cannon could come back. Um, he wasn't unfortunately cleared for this game, but I don't think you start him at this point. I think you, JD's your guy. You got to ride with him. I think he, he's proven that he is the guy um, to take you to the championship and you're going to live or die by him. And uh, I think he's earned that. So, uh, you know, kudos to him. Um, and the other thing you mentioned, the offense, you know, a guy like Mark Cockerton, like, they have so many unselfish weapons. Dan Baccaro, Jake Carraway, who felt a little bit disrespected, you know, getting a shorty in that matchup, and he made them pay in this game. Eric Law, like all these guys just play such an unselfish style. Even Jeff T, you know, we know Jeff T to be this tremendous goal scorer, but, you know, he can also assist and play unselfish. He doesn't have to be the guy, you know, putting the team on his back every time. And I think that's why this team has had so much success. They, you know, as they say, everyone eats family style. They play egoless lacrosse. Um, and that's maybe what has kind of, you know, hindered them a little bit, this team in the past, you know, but now you have a whole completely new roster, essentially, um, both on offense and defense, and they're just playing really, really well, good chemistry, good team 
defense, good team offense. And um, overall, I, I think that's their biggest indicator of success is that, you know, you could have a Jeff T get held to one, two goals on the stat sheet and they still have a solid chance of winning. You know, Brian Costabile might have four or five points on a day, or he might have a, a quieter day, but be able to contribute, you know, at the midfield on, on defense or in transition. Um, and their D minis have really stepped it up too. You got Danny Logan, Jake Richard, Peter Durth, who's joined recently. Um, Docs Aiken, you know, two-way guy that has come in and, and really performed. So overall, this Atlas team is just playing unselfish lacrosse. And um, honestly, right now, the way it's looking at, I mean, we, we're going to get to a Water Dogs Whip Stakes matchup uh, that we'll talk a little bit about next podcast. And that's going to definitely be, you know, two teams that could easily win the championship. But right now, I think my team, you know, I'm not down them anymore, is, is the Atlas. I think they're going to pull it out um, against the Chaos. And I, I think they're my favorite right now to win this championship. But you mentioned, too, the face-off play from Trevor Baptiste has been huge for the Atlas. On the flip side, I think what, that's what the Cannons probably need the most to address this offseason. They're a lot like the Archers in that regard. They need to address this face-off position. And it's a shame because they took three guys, um, you know, in this expansion draft and, you know, just didn't really pan out for really any of them. Obviously, Fowler had missed up most of the season until this season. He had missed most of the season until this game. Um, but Tommy Kelly didn't work out. Unfortunately, Drew Simino played decent, but they ended up trading him to try to give another, you know, turn with Reisman, and that didn't work out. So um, overall, they, they definitely need to address it. And it's going to be tough for them to address because Dallas now have their first-round pick which uh, they acquired in that Paul Rabel trade. So uh, it's pretty unfortunate that the Cannons aren't even going to be able to address that face-off need in the first round next year. So unless they trade up or, or make a splash, you know, uh, making a tra trade for a current face-off guy, um, they're definitely going to have to find a way to address that. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, you know, it's going to be a little bit tougher due to that Paul Rabel trade. And I wouldn't say, you know, that Paul Rabel trade was bad. They got a great season out of Paul Rabel. Obviously, you get Zach Goodrich, which is a great pickup. Um, but on the flip side, the Atlas, you know, didn't too, do too bad either with adding Docs Aiken with that pick that they traded for. They added uh, Michael Rexrode in that entry draft with that pick. Um, and then they have an opportunity to add another impact guy in this first round in next year's college draft, um, even if they do win the championship. So good, good savvy move by Ben Ruger there. Again, another reason why I think he is probably going to be my coach of the year uh, when it's all said and done. But yeah, overall, Atlas. I think they're they're in the best shape right now to to make a, a championship run and uh, we'll definitely see how it plays out. But you know we're not going to completely sleep on the chaos after last week. Um, but we'll definitely be watching that matchup closely come come Philly time. Moving on to the final matchup, Whipsnakes Redwoods. Obviously the matchup of the weekend given this team's history. They played each other eight times. No other team has played each other that many times, um, and it did not disappoint. Once again, a real close one through and through. Um, had some late game heroics from. None other than Matt Rambo. But uh, overall, I thought the Redwoods, despite not having TD, despite not having Perkovic, actually played really, really well. Um, it's disappointing that they couldn't get it done in Kyle Harrison's last game. Um, but they had some great performances from Ryder Garnsey, who is really coming to his own. I, you know, at the beginning of the season, he was really trying to find a spot on that offense. Um, obviously, you know, when Ryan Lee went out, there was a little bit more opportunity there to get him on the offense and not just necessarily run him from the box. But he's really stepped it up these past three games. Jules Henningberg played really, really well. Charlie Bertrand, their rookie, played really, really well. Uh, we also even got a Joe Walters to Kyle Harrison goal. Nice seeing Joe Walters out there. We don't know how many more seasons he has. We know this is Kyle's last, so it was nice to see that connection there um, for them. But overall, what did you see from this Redwoods team that worked? And then we'll kind of get into kind of the collapse towards the end of the game. But uh, what did you see from this Redwoods team that at least is encouraging going into the next season, despite, you know, not the result they wanted? 
Yeah, they got production from, from a, a plethora of younger guys that are going to be back, which is, which is big for them. You know, you mentioned Kyle and, and Joe. Uh, that was a, an awesome goal to see. Absolute throwback. Tim Trotner and Cage played really, really well um for this redwoods squad for for a majority of the season and i was surprised he wasn't a finalist for goalie of the year um but they they have have the keys kind of similar to uh what we were chatting about with the archers they had they have a lot of the pieces they just haven't been able to put together against this whip squad trounder made 17 saves in this one so i mean uh i wouldn't put the loss on his shoulders and i mean he, he was the best goalie in this one. You saw on the other, the other end, uh, Kyle Burnlore got benched after the first half for, for Brian Phipps and Phipps came in uh, and did what it needed to do to, to get this whip snakes, the victory. It was, it was tough to watch. You know, I'm, I try to be Switzerland and, and be uh, kind of in the middle, be impartial, obviously as a media member, and you could just feel it. I don't know if you felt the same way, but mm-hmm. um, it was all woods early on, right? Like they were, they were dominating and you, you were like, oh, this is, this is the woods turn. And then speaking of turns, it, it turned and slowly, but surely you could feel it. I don't know mm-hmm. if the, the players felt the tension of it, you know, it coming in kind of from, from the previous two seasons, but uh, I, I felt it uh, just watching the broadcast, uh, that, that tension build and, and the whips kind of take control of this one to pull away. Yeah, no. And uh, it's unfortunate, but like the, the Redwoods just can't pull away from teams either. They're a lot like the archers in that regard. It just didn't seem like they could pull away. Yeah. I mean, you know, a big question was at the stripe um, and Joe Dar- Nardella went on a little bit of a run in that fourth quarter, but uh, you know, Drew Simino didn't do too bad. 47%, 11 for 27, you know, not great, but like, they brought him in to do what he needed to do. He, I still think like, you know, he's been able to perform at a level, you know, th- there's really, you know, three tiers, I think of face-off guys. There's your top guys, Nardella, TD. Um, then there's your bottom guys that just aren't getting it done. And then Drew Simino is right there in the middle. You know, I think he's that second tier guy that can give you a good game here and there and give you a chance. And he certainly did that. But um, yeah, like you said, like you could just kind of feel the momentum shifting the Snakes way, even when, you know, they were still down by a couple goals and, I think the the biggest turning point was when, you know, Tim Trouter made that big save. It was a bad possession by the whips. Um, and then Jay Carlson deflected that pass that the Redwoods wanted uh, potentially goalie interference. I don't think it was, I think it hit the, his stick. I don't think he, his stick made contact with Troutner's. Um, but that turnover ended up leading to Zed Williams two pointer that pulled them, you know, within two goals. So they're down, you know, whip snakes are down by four and have a bad possession and then ends up being 11, nine late in the third. And you got a little bit of chippiness too towards the end of the third end. Um, and it all started to kind of just unravel for the Redwoods, but they, they never were out of the game either. Like even when they lost that momentum, they were still putting up goals and they yeah, had a absolutely. lead, um, you know, late in that fourth quarter. But like I said, Joe Nardella kind of went on a little bit of a run. And, you know, I think that brings us to, you can't understate the importance of Matt Rambo uh, to this offense. Yep. You know, he just gives you an edge that you, you just can't, you can't, you know, quantify on paper really. Um, obviously he's going to get it done, you know, scoring assist wise, he's going to get it done on that sheet, but like, he just gives you an edge that you always know that you have a chance when Rambo's on the field. I'm um, sure enough, he was the one that, you know, put the dagger in the Redwoods, uh, you know, with less than a minute left going against Apple. Um, you know, he had an earlier goal going right-handed where Apple overcommitted behind the cage to him on the left side. Um, this one was, you know, vintage Rambo coming around getting to five and five on the lefty side. And, uh, you know, again, he, he breaks the hearts of Redwoods players and Redwoods fans alike um, with this one. And, 
you know, I, I think it was a, a gutsy win by the Whips and credit to Coach Stagnita for making the halftime adjustments. You mentioned Burnlaw was not playing well that first half. Savio was steps in the second half. We'll talk a little bit about that um, in a little bit. But let's hear from Coach Stagnita talking about the halftime adjustments that they made um, going into the second half and how it kind of, you know, led to this turnaround and this overall victory in the end. It's been a long time since I've, I've had to talk to them like that. Um, I just didn't feel like, uh, you know, I, I just didn't feel like we were doing the things and playing, you know, playoff caliber lacrosse. Um, I thought we were struggling on the defensive end. Uh, I thought we got out ground balled. Um, I, I just, I felt like we just weren't, um, they were playing faster than us. They were better, they were better prepared and, and, and played harder in that first half. And, you know, that's, that's something that we can control. And um, and I did say, you know, it's exactly what I said, Lisa. I said, we have to flip the switch because if we don't, um, we're in for a long day. And I challenged some people, and I don't enjoy doing it. I don't feel like it's something that you need to do very often at that, at this level. Um, but they responded, and uh, they, they played a, a really good second half. Um, we made some mistakes, but we, we played a really good second half on both ends of the field. Uh, our defense picked it up, and, and certainly uh, Brian Phipps gave us a, you know, a big boost there in the goal. So you heard Jim Stagnita. Obviously, you know, he said he hasn't really had to get that angry with his team in a while, but um, you know, he didn't he didn't hold back on anything he said in the locker room to try to you know light a spark, and he decided to go with Phipps in the second half, which proved to be a savvy move. You know, Burnmore just didn't look in that first half. He has had a rough stretch this past four games. Overall, his season, like. You know, he started out well, like it was the burn more that we knew and loved. But um, he's had four games this season where he's posted less than 10 saves. Um, he had a game against the Archers where he only had four saves and winning that game somehow. Redwoods lost. They only had, had only six saves. Um, and then this last Redwoods game um, prior to the playoff matchup only had eight. Um, he gets pulled after the half and, and Phipps comes in and performs. So, yeah, he just looks a little shaky. Um, you know, he actually had a pretty good game against the Water Dogs despite that loss. Um, you know, he gave up 11, but made 14 saves. So I think a little bit still on this defense, um, not really giving him as much help as he needs. But um, you got to look at, like, he's led you to two championships, but it's been shaky recently. Do you go with Phipps uh, in this semifinal matchup? You know, and uh, ironically, Phipps was on the Redwoods roster and, you know, kind of poetic that he's the one that kind of secures that victory for the, the whips against the Redwoods um, in this one. But, you know, it's feeling very... Phipps coming in for Nico Amato in 2019-esque and leading Bayhawks to a title. That's kind of how I'm feeling about Brian Phipps right now. Are you feeling the same way? Or do you think they go back to Burn Lore um, in the semifinal matchup? I, I think you, you dance with, with who brought you there. I know he's had an up-and-down season, but, uh, you know, Burn Lore's brought them two championships, and I, I don't think you, you go to Phipps in this one. After the game in the huddle, Coach Staggs was talking about how that's why you have two goalies on the squad, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, Phipps is a phenomenal goalie and, and could help them win, right? But I think um, after after the the previous success of Burn Lore, um, I, I he still has the capabilities of being a top-notch goalie. So I think uh, you stay with Kyle, but there is a short leash, you know, based mm-hmm. off of his, his recent uh, recent game. So short leash, but you stick with Burnlore going into the semi. Yeah, obviously, you know, like I mentioned, Burnlore wasn't the issue against the Water Dogs the last game, but I don't know. I kind of, you know, you, you want to have a short leash, but you also don't want to pull the trigger too late as well. You know, and the Water Dogs are a team, you know, that aren't going to let you just hang around 
So I don't know. I'm kind of leaning actually to have them start Phipps in the semis uh, in Philly. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they go back to Burnlore. Obviously, you know, he's won a championship for them the past two seasons, so that can't be understated. But right now, I feel like you got to ride the hand. And I think, you know, the ship's kind of sailed. Like, he's had opportunities where Phipps has come in in relief. And I don't know. I feel like it gives you a, a spark going into the semifinals, starting Phipps. But who knows? You know, I, I don't know the lo- locker room dynamic. We obviously saw with the Vegas Golden Knights, you had, uh, you know, to kind of compare to hockey, Marc-Andre Fleury had that mishap that ended up costing him the next game start. Robin Leonard came in and played well, but, you know, it was kind of a big question mark and, uh, you know, off the ice story that they had to deal with when playing the Canadians. And that's the other thing. You don't want to create a storyline where, you know, if you do start Phipps and they win going to the championship, you got to start them, you know, again, going to the championship. So I, I think, you know, Coach Stegney has a big decision here. You either ride with Burnmore, um, you know, throughout the championship and, you know, have him on a tight leash or you go with Phipps and you ride him through the championship if you make it there. But uh, overall, I think this decision going into Philly is going to have ramifications if they do make it to the championship. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm leaving Phipps right now. I just think you, you look at his track record when he's done with the Bayhawks and how he led them to a championship uh, despite not starting at the beginning of the season in 2019. And um, I think you follow that similar bl- blueprint in my opinion, I think, you know, we're past the time to, 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 to give Burnlore a short leash. You know, I, I think, you know, you start Phipps and then if Phipps doesn't play well, you know, you got, you know, Burnlore in your back pocket too. And hopefully that, that can kind of maybe give him some extra motivation, but I know that's kind of how I feel about it. Not sure. You know, I'm not, I'm not coach Stagnita. I don't know the dynamic of the locker room. So we'll definitely see what he decides to do come Philly time. Um, but yeah, definitely looking for this war dogs whip snakes matchup. You got Rambo Philly and then your water dogs, uh, in Philadelphia. So it'd be nice to see that matchup for sure. Um, wrapping up, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit more about Kyle Harrison. Kyle, final game of a tremendous 17-year career. When you look back on the last 17 years, what are you going to remember the most? Um, how lucky I am, right? Like I have uh, 17 years of, of my family supporting me, my teammates supporting me, incredible coaches supporting me. I've just... Uh, I'm one of the, those guys that I, I, I lucked out um, with just, again, support at every part of my life, from, from sponsors that allowed me to be a full-time lacrosse player uh, to, again, like I said, family. And then, you know, I actually re- was reflecting on this this morning. My wife, um, and, like, obviously there's a physical side to travel and playing and, you know. I, I, honestly, what, what made me think about it is Brooke asks me, my daughter, all the time, on Fridays, if I'm coming to her dance recital, uh, and I typically say, no, sweetie, I can't go, but mom's going to film it for you. So I was thinking about the, the physical part of it, but then my mind drifted to, uh, like, mentally and emotionally how tied we are to playing. And, uh, I mean, for 14 years, my wife has put up with that, which I can't imagine um, has been easy. So I just, again, to, to answer the question as short as possible, all the people around me, that's what I think about the last 17 years, every single one of them. What would you like the sport of lacrosse to remember you for? What would I like the sport of lacrosse to remember me for? Um, hmm. I guess a, a guy that tried to do things the right way. Um, you know, I, uh, I've just been lucky. Like, like I said, I think even thinking about Coach Nat and the team I've been on the last three years, like I, I am a clearly older player. Um, and, and the coaching staff, uh, you know, specifically Coach Nat and, and my teammates, like, 
they they allowed me to continue competing and and molded their games to allow me to to play my game that I can play it at it's been 36 37 38 years old and so um you know what what I want lacrosse to remember me for 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 trying to do things the right way hard to to imagine this being his last game going into it and then when you finally realize it is um it was you know very tough to to think about so I don't know just want to give you know shout out to him for a phenomenal 17 year career you know winning it with the machine um really being a trailblazer for the sport not only in terms of diversity of the sport not only in terms of playing style in the sport not only you know in terms of what he does off the field but i mean he does so much for this game to advance it forward you know we talk about the pls touring model lxm tour did it you know years prior um and obviously you know that was a little bit different of a model but you know he was paving the way in a lot of different avenues um and it was kind of fitting that it was uh you know he retires you know a day or two i think before uh kobe bryant's birthday and kobe bryant you know a lot of comparisons they were both friends um, also a trailblazer, not only, you know, on the court, but also off the court as well. So um, I think it's fitting that, you know, a guy with the Mamba mentality like Kyle Harrison goes out um, close to that. It's a shame that he couldn't get that final championship with the Redwoods. But uh, again, hats off to a phenomenal career. Any any special moments or thoughts on Kyle Harrison um, and, and his you know final season? No, what talk you could talk about the play on the field. Absolute icon. Like I said, one of the best to literally ever play just a good dude, right? Like I think so much uh, goes towards um, his play on the field and players play on the field, but just a genuinely good person on and off. Uh, You know, when we were starting out uh, doing this, we had great conversations with Kyle on the pod and he just, uh, he's the same person on camera as he is off. Um, Just a a really good person Um, and someone the sport will miss. I don't think uh, his days in the lacrosse world are over, obviously, just on the field. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Kyle does now that he's hung up the the pads. But I think big things are to come for Kyle. Yeah. And, you know, mark me if I'm wrong, I think he's still employed with the league. So he's going to be making a difference, you know. Um, in terms of the player relations side of things and diversity and inclusion side of things uh, for the PLL. But yeah, you know, hats off to him for a phenomenal career. You know, he's, he's the definition of a family man too. It was nice seeing, you know, his children with signs and stuff and his neighbors, you know, welcoming him back with signs. So I think he's going to enjoy retirement, enjoy his time with his family. Um, we'll definitely miss him, but, you know, credit to him for a phenomenal career and what he's done for the sport. Um, we are going to save our game picks for next week. Definitely looking forward to both these matchups in Philly. We will be there on site, as I mentioned. So definitely if you see us there, say hi, come talk to us. Looking forward to seeing a lot of people there. Um, Looking forward to, you know, getting on the ground for a PLL event. You were able to go to Baltimore. I have not gone to one yet this year. So it's been over two years since I've been to a PLL event. Um, Last time I was in Philly actually for the championship. So nice to to kind of return there. Um, Definitely going to be a cool environment. Um, Definitely appreciate Eric Law coming on the show. And as always, we appreciate you guys as listeners for tuning in to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.